Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. So here at First Christian, our vision is to lead people closer to Jesus. And everything that we do and everything that we're about is about leading people closer to Jesus. And and everything that we're doing and everything that we're trying to do is about that. And so out in the commons, you've seen this display that uh, has a lot of light bulbs in it, and it says, be a light. And the reason that that display is there is because there are people here at First Christian who have taken a bulb and have written on that bulb five names, five first names of people that they know in their life who are in need of the light of Jesus. And because they have written those names on the bulb, when they put that bulb into the display and it lit up, that was to be a constant reminder to them that they have now made a commitment to be praying for and looking for opportunities to lead people in their life, and specifically those names that are on that bulb, closer to Jesus, to to bring the light of Jesus into those folks' lives. And today, as you leave, if you haven't had a chance to participate in that and you haven't been able to put a bulb in that display, we want you to do that. There's a basket that's got bulbs in it that are out there. There's pins that will write on those bulbs. You just think of five people who are already in your life who are in need of the light of Jesus, and you put their first name on that, and you're making a commitment that you're going to pray for them and that you're going to look for opportunities that God puts in your path that you can be the light of Jesus for them. And it just keeps going. Okay? That, that emphasis never ends because we are constantly trying to figure out how more and more and more people can be brought closer and closer and closer to Jesus, which is exactly why we're in this series that we're in right now called I Never Said That. Because we want to make sure that people understand what Jesus said and what Jesus didn't say. Because there's a lot of ambiguity that's out there. A lot of folks are convinced that there are some things that are in the Bible that just aren't in there. We talked a couple of weeks ago about one of those phrases that people are convinced is in the Bible, but it's not there, and and, and that is that God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not in there. Last week, we looked at a phrase that people are convinced is in the Bible, and that is that money is the root of all evil, and the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that the love of money, the obsession with money, the addiction to money is the root of all kinds of evil, but money in and of itself is not bad. So we got to be really clear about what the Bible says and what it doesn't say. This week's phrase, this comment, is one that we will hear pop up, um, or maybe we will even say in a moment, when there is someone in our life where we have watched their life kind of go off the rails, okay? And they're living a life that is outside of the life that they're really supposed to be living and things are just kind of spiraling in negative directions. And and in that moment, you will hear somebody say, hey, just remember what the Bible says, love the sinner, hate the sin, okay? Love the sinner, hate the sin. We've heard the phrase before. It's somewhat cliche anymore, but, but there's many of us who know that maybe Maybe that one's not actually in the Bible. We know that those words specifically aren't in there, but we we kind of believe in this comment. We feel like this is a very biblical comment, even though it may have grown cliche over the years. There's there's nothing really wrong with it. And we come to that conclusion uh, for good reason. One of the reasons that we we decide that is because we're supposed to be a community of love, right? I mean, isn't that what Jesus was really bringing to us is that, look, love is far more severe in this world than, than you might realize. 
and that we're supposed to be a community of love. Jesus even said that we're supposed to love our enemies, which is a difficult thought for us. That is a stretch for us, but because that's what Jesus said, then we try and do that. We, we try and love everybody. Then we get to what John wrote in 1 John chapter 4. He said, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so if we're trying to be closer to Jesus and the character of Jesus, if we want to be as much like God as he created us to be, then, then love's got to be at the core of that. And so we're, we're all about being about love, and it means loving everybody. So if that's who God is, he's a God of love, then the second half of that phrase, love the sinner and, and hate the sin, also kind of connects with God because we know the Bible tells us that, that God hates sin, okay? That part of the phrase is also one of those things that we can, can understand. God hates that, that some of you have experienced abuse from other people. And God hates that uh, injustice is in the world. God hates racism. God hates when people take advantage of our kids. God hates when two people are involved sexually before they are ever involved sacredly or sacrificially. So God hates sin. So if God is a God of love and God hates sin, then what is possibly wrong with the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin? Isn't that us just trying to kind of live up to who God created us to be? Well, the issue with the statement, love the sin or hate the sin, is not necessarily that it's a problem. It's a matter of priority. And, and it's not that it's a bad statement or a bad quote, but we want to have the best statement that, that best reflects what the Bible says. So let me start with this. Paul says in Romans 3.23, he says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, okay? Every one of us, all, 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 all of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. When it comes to the standard of God, of what is right and what is wrong and what is sin and what is not sin, we have all fallen short. It is, a, it is not a graded scale, Okay. We would like for sin to be a graded scale, like it's A through F. And some of us are in the B range, some of us are in the C range, and some of us are in the A range. That's how we want things to be. But sin is a pass-fail situation. Okay. And pass is perfection. And none of us are there. And so that means that all of us, every one of us, have failed. But that's not how we view it. What we do is we like to think of sin as being graded on the curve, okay? And so if we can compare ourselves to other people, and if we can find some people who are doing things that we think are worse than what we're doing, then that puts us at the top of the curve and we can feel a lot better about ourselves. And so we would like to be graded on the curve. And, and, and as long as we're not farther from sinner than somebody else's, then we're okay. And we even make a list. We make a list of the things that kind of put us close to center and close to perfection. And so our list is, is things like, hey, I go to church. Or, or hey, I, I don't cuss. Or, I, I tithe. You know, and, and we say things like, you know, I, I, I don't drink. I don't chew. I don't go with girls who do. You know, and if, if we say all those things, we do all those things, then that means that we're doing the right things. 
And as long as we can feel like we're doing enough right things that are better than the right things that other people are doing, that we're at the top of the curve and that's how we want to think of ourselves. And, and maybe you're good by your standards. But that good is still not good enough. But what happens is that when we, when we grade ourselves based on comparison and we're looking what everybody else does, and we're paying attention to everyone else's sin and how that sin's worse than my sin, then pretty soon we start to have blind spots to the sin that's in our life. And we start to have these areas of our life that, that are, are sin, and the Bible clearly states them as sin, but we don't pay too much attention to them because there's things that other people are doing that are way worse than these things that I'm doing. And so we, we have these blind spots that pop up, and even though God has made it clear that they are still sins, we kind of grade them as not as severe, and, and so we don't pay too much attention to them. Now, this is a painful walk for all of us that we're getting ready to make right now. It's, it's for me too. But these blind spots are the very things that have caused us to fail when it comes to the standard of God. Here's one, gossip. Gossip is actually listed in the Bible as a sin. Now, there are some of us who are Christ followers and some of us who have been involved in church for a while who have figured out a workaround when it comes to gossip, okay? And the workaround that we've come up with for gossip is called a prayer request, okay? So we can be in a gathering and we can bring up a prayer request, and instead of just bringing up, hey, we need to pray for this person, and that's the end of this, we want to make sure we tell all the story that we know, and all the details that we've heard, and I've kind of heard that this might be what's going on. And suddenly that prayer request has become gossip, and I'm not saying that all prayer requests are gossip. You can kind of examine your own heart on that, but my guess is you know that it's true on occasion. And th th there's other things, like profanity. Okay? The Bible says that that's not supposed to be part of our life and that that's a sin in our life, and yet we, we kind of have that as a moving target because over the years there are certain words that, that are not as profane as they used to be, and so we can kind of throw those in from time to time. And then here's the other one that we love to do as Christ followers is that we'll, 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 we'll put quotes around whatever it is that we're going to say. So as long as we're quoting somebody else who cussed, then it's not on us because they're the ones that said it. I'm just telling you what they said. And so we, we kind of have this blind spot that shows up in our life. And, and then there are others. Last week we talked about money, and greed is certainly one of those sins that pops up it's in the Bible. And that kind of obsession with money, and maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's really more jealousy because you're jealous of what somebody else has or how much someone else has that's not what you have. And then, of course, there's sexual impurity. And, and this becomes a blind spot because we have some very um, interesting ways of innocently approaching what this means. And so we have a continuous flirtation that happens outside of our marriage relationship. Or we go searching on a streaming service for certain kinds of movies that we would not let anybody else know that we're watching. See, it's not, it's not public stuff. It's not stuff that anybody's going to take you to court over. 
but they are blind spots because we've convinced ourselves that even though those are present in our life, that they're not all that bad. And what we do with our blind spots is we kind of give measurements to them. And so we have metrics to our blind spots where it says, you know, if I only do a little bit of this blind spot stuff, then it really doesn't even count. Somehow we've convinced ourselves that as long as we can keep it minimal, then it washes out somehow along the way. But these blind spots are actually the thing that caused me to struggle over our phrase for today. Love the sinner and hate the sin. Some people think that that phrase kind of originated, if they were going to give it a scripture tie, it would be in Romans chapter 12 where Paul says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Now let me dig into that for just a second. Let's look at the first sentence there. Love must be sincere. That, that phrase in and of itself could be a life goal. We could spend the rest of our lives trying to live out a sincere love, okay? Just thinking through what does it mean for love to be sincere, we could spend every day for the rest of our lives chasing after that, and it would always give us something to do. It's a good life goal to have our love be sincere. But then Paul explains it even further when he says, hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. And notice that he's not calling for us to hate what is evil in somebody else's life. To to hate what is evil that someone else is doing. He's talking to you. I mean, to be really specific, what he's saying is, look, you need to identify your sin You need to identify what it is that's evil in you and you need to move away from it and pull away from it until you finally have separated from it and then you need to run as far away from it as you can possibly get so that you don't fall into it again. And again, he's he's not saying that about the sin of the ex who's in your life or the sin of your brother-in-law. He's talking to you. And he's not talking about the sin in your annoying coworker's life. He's not talking about the sin in your boss's life. He's talking to you. And unless I pay attention to my blind spots, I can't love sincerely. And Paul defined love for us. We've seen this before. We've read this before, we, we, we've heard this before, some of us even have plaques of this in our homes that describe what love is. Paul's poetic words from 1 Corinthians 13, he says this, love is patient and kind, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude, it does not demand its own way, it is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's a great definition of love. Pretty powerful words about love. Poetic words about love. We love these words about love. But what happens when you apply these words? to real life. They can look something like this. 
Love is patient and kind with that person that disagrees with me politically. Love is not jealous of that person who appears to have more than me. Love is not boastful to that person who appears to have less than me. Love is not rude to someone who tweets what I don't like. Love does not demand its own way against the vulnerable or the marginalized or the weak. Love is not irritable towards an atheist or an agnostic or an unchurched person. Love keeps no record of wrong against your failing spouse. Love does not rejoice about injustice ever. Love rejoices whenever the truth wins out but is not haughty or pompous about it. Love never gives up on the adult child who is faithless. Love never loses faith when the aging parent doesn't believe. Love is always hopeful for the friend who's addicted. That's love in real life. With the decision of the Supreme Court on Friday, it seems, at least on social media, that there are people who agree with the decision that the Supreme Court made and people who disagree with the decision that the Supreme Court made. And both groups have plenty of things that they want to say. But it seems as though that they had never heard or at least had forgotten or not applied to real life the things that Paul just said. Because the quest to be right sometimes overcomes our love. Caleb Kaltenbach wrote a powerful book called Messy Grace. And in that book, he wrote, he wrote this. The bottom line is this. When you deal with people, you'll always get messy. When you choose to love people who think and act differently than you, the situation could get extremely messy. And yet these are the very people to whom Jesus has sent us in his name. If we are going to understand messy grace, then we have to understand how to love people no matter who they are. We have to be willing to enter into those messy relationships. And we're messy too, right? So when you see the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin, seems like a really good phrase. The problem with the phrase, or the priority of the phrase, is that it's completely focused on everybody else's sin. So I think this one is better. Love the sinner, hate my sin. See, unfortunately, we have 20-20 vision when it comes to everybody else's sin. We, are, we can pick out sin in somebody's life from across the room. We have no problem with that. But when it comes to our sin, suddenly our eyes get really blurry about seeing that. We need to, to love the sinner and pay attention to our sin first. Here's something that Paul said to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he added this little editorial clause. And I am the worst of them all. 
This is Paul writing, and realize this is not a tweet that he put out. Okay? This is not an, a, a, a text message that he sent to Timothy. This is a letter that he wrote by hand, and he had sent uh, across uh, time and space. It took weeks, if not months, for Timothy to actually see these words that Paul had written down. And so Paul's not writing this hoping for some type of rebuttal. He's not saying this, this with hopes that somebody would say, oh, wait, Paul, you're not that bad. Paul, you're better than you think. No, he, he's being sincere. And he's pointing out that he's looking at his sin first. And when it came to identifying and paying attention to sin, Jesus gave us this incredible illustration that is way over the top. It's exaggerated on purpose. Shows up in Matthew chapter 7. Here's what Jesus said. He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Then he goes on and says, says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Loose translation, deal with and judge your own life and the sin in your own life before you start judging the sin in others. Jesus says, look, once you've dealt with your own sin, then you can more clearly see how to help, okay, notice that it's about help, how to help your brother or your sister who's dealing with sin. He never said that you couldn't help. He never said that you couldn't step in with the person who had a speck in their eye. He just said, get the plank out of your eye first. It's amazing advice from Jesus, which shouldn't be a surprise to us. And if we play this well, we begin to learn the secret to living for Jesus. Because when we're living for Jesus, and we are excited about the life that Jesus promises to us and the life that we can lead, what happens is, in the midst of that, there will be these knee-jerk responses that pop up all along the way. And there will be these triggers in our life that make us want to come out with judgment and come out with fingers pointed and, and, making, and laying out blame. We all have judgment triggers that can pop up and can set us off. And they come in all kinds of different categories like religious convictions and, and political loyalties and morals and lifestyles. And suddenly in the midst of all that, we, we have these judgment triggers that make us want to blame and condemn. But Jesus says that the spirit of condemnation is never to be present with his disciples. Okay? Confrontation, yes. Correction, sure. But condemnation, never. And there's, there's a difference between those things. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, and it's okay to call sin, sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. With a spirit that wants to help, and a spirit that wants to restore, and that wants to 
guide. We are called to come alongside people who are in the midst of sin and to shine the light of Jesus towards them. Gently. But what I see on social media, and I don't just mean in the last couple of days, but certainly then as well, is not the church speaking into lives with gentleness. There's not a lot of restoration that's involved in the comment section that you'll find on Instagram or on Facebook. What's mostly there is condemnation. Now, let me be clear. Jesus is not saying or even suggesting that we should be morally indifferent. He makes it quite clear that we all have stuff in our eyes, okay? Whether it's sawdust or whether it's a plank, we've got stuff in our eyes. We all have issues that need to be addressed. So indifference is not the answer. Don't ask, don't tell is not the answer. And yet Jesus sets a very clear precedent that our job is not making condemning judgments about everybody else. We need to be more about checking our own hearts and paying attention to our own sin and our own blind spots, paying attention to what may be in our eyes before ever moving on to our brothers or our sisters. And not to sound overly selfish on this, but I need to care a lot less about somebody else's sin and start paying a lot more attention to my own. So in addition to checking our blind spots and in addition to responding with love, we also need to be people who, who check our heart. Solomon wrote in, in Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from that heart. So we guard our heart because if we don't guard our heart, then arrogance and pride and ego and deceptiveness can absolutely come from our heart and ruin our heart. And so this phrase, love the sinner and hate the sin, the, the struggle that I have with it is that it puts all of the emphasis and all of the focus on everybody else and the sin in other people's lives. So I'm going to ask that you would do something different. Would you surrender to the idea of working on and grieving over your own sin instead of somebody else's? Think about this in, in your times of prayer. When's the last time in your time of prayer that you confessed to God the sin that has been prevalent in the last day or the last week? When's the last time in your prayer you asked God to convict you of sin that you had in your blind spot? Because see, what we do in our prayer times is we, we get to this spiritual section of things in our prayers and we will ask God to intervene and to help with and to to challenge somebody else. 
and fix somebody else and deal with somebody else's sin so that they will get better because they need to get better. But we need to be worried about and we need to care about our heart to pray that God would convict us to love sinners sincerely and to pay attention to and to even hate my sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the grace that is extended to us over and over and over and over again. God, there are moments when we look at our lives and we don't want to look that closely. And we recognize the mountain of sin that is not in somebody else's life, but is in our life. And God, your truth is always truth. And so that label of sin doesn't change with the times. It doesn't change with the culture. It doesn't change with society. It doesn't change with the calendar. Truth is truth and sin is sin. But thankfully, because of you and because of Jesus, grace is grace. And grace is this mountain, a mountain of freedom and forgiveness, a mountain that so overwhelms and overcomes the sin that's in our life and reminds us of the lives that are possible through your freedom and through your grace and through your love and through your mercy. God, may we be far more concerned about the sin in our life that has forced you to rescue us. And may we be more concerned about sharing your truth and sharing your love and sharing your grace and sharing your forgiveness with the people in our life so that they may see the light of Jesus than we are about pointing out sin in everybody else's life. We thank you for that grace and freedom that comes through Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you'd stand with me this morning. Now, you've already witnessed this in this service, but maybe today is a day that you need to say yes to Jesus, and you want to give your life over to him and know his grace and his forgiveness in your life and, and, and be baptized. Maybe that's a decision that you have to make, or maybe you have questions about that. We have folks who will be here to answer those questions for you right up front. Or maybe you've made that decision before and you want to be a part of a, a family, a community of love that's leaning into Jesus and trying to be closer and closer to Jesus all the time. If that's a decision that you have to make, we invite you to come forward and make that decision during this song as well. And for the rest of us, we have a, an incredible opportunity to just lift our voices in praise and worship to the one who has recognized our sin and seen all those things that, that we think that we keep in hiding. And he loves us anyway. He has poured out grace and forgiveness to us. And all we have to do is accept him and believe. And then feel that flood of grace. 
right now we get to worship and praise him for that. So may we lift our voices as we sing to him.